Hey, first of all, fam, if you are in New York between August 23rd and September 18th only, you can go check out an amazing new play presented by the Mayi Theater Company called Once Upon a Korean Time. It's by Daniel K. Isaac, and it is mixing traditional Korean fables with the horrors of the Korean War. So it gets really deep, but it's funny and deeply moving. It's an analog for the experiences of the Korean American diaspora. He moves through his characters through time and traces the legacies of trauma that's passed down from one generation to the next and the various coping mechanisms that each one uses to soldier on. Something that I've definitely dived into and first of all and can deeply relate to. So uh, I hope you guys will go check that out. The show features sea kings, bubbles, tigers, generational trauma and barbecue. Definitely an interesting mix. And it's the professional playwriting debut for Daniel K. Isaac who's a writer for The Billions, The Chinese Lady. Um, It's at... La Mama's Ellen Stewart Theater in New York City. It's a very limited engagement. Again, August 23rd through September 18th only. And tickets are now available by visiting ma-yi-theater.org. I'm going to spell it out for you because theater is spelled a little differently and there's a hyphen. So it's M-A-Y-I-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org. And we have our exclusive code for First of All listeners. It is First of All, all caps, for $30 tickets, valid through September 1st only. So limited engagement further. Go check it out. Enjoy the show. Dive into a different world. Feel all the feels and have a great time. And then let me know what you think about it. You're listening to... Whoa! Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor, producer, filmmaker, here to share inspiring stories and to walk everyday life with you. How are you? You doing okay? I'm back, and I'm really sorry for the hiatus. It was an unforeseen mental health break that was really necessary. And uh, here to talk a little bit about that and just to check in with you guys and to resume season three. I hope you guys are doing well and staying safe and sane per usual because the world continues to be absolutely crazy. Um, And I hope that you're finding some way to find peace and stability in all of it. I definitely have been working on that. So it's good to be here. This week, I do not have a guest and it's just a little solo one-on-one quality time check in with you guys and uh update you all on what's been going on because i don't know i think this is what youtubers do right when they like drop their channel for a second full disclosure if you're just tuning in this your first time i dropped off the face of the earth for a minute and i needed a break um and yeah i'm back (laughs) so uh just to dive right into it it's been a pretty insane couple months. It's been almost exactly two months since uh, I wrapped my first short film as a director and writer. It was one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my entire freaking life. And I am totally doing it again. Uh, So it was one of the most stressful and it was one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. And it 100% broke a dam, a creative dam, a personal like 
identity and fulfillment dam inside of me where I really felt like I was doing what I was meant to do. And that's a really great feeling. It was also really terrifying and, like I said, really stressful. There were just heaps and heaps of challenges that came up at every facet of production. Um, I worked, you know, I'm an independent filmmaker. It's my first film. I didn't know what the heck I was doing in so many cases. I was working with other folks who are incredibly smart and passionate, but also novices. They're also newbies in the filmmaking arena. And so all of us coming together as this like scrappy Avengers team was incredible. And I'm so freaking proud of everything we did. And uh, also, you know, just it was it was an expected, very real part of making something together. A lot of us for the first time is that it was going to be really hard too. Um, so that being said, you know, it was one of the most challenging things. This is so kind of typical of like a representation of who I am. Like I could have gone really, really simple with my first short film. I could have done like one or two characters, a single location, a five-page, you know, five-minute script. But no, I went full ensemble. We went to a nightclub (laughs) in the middle of COVID. Um, Yeah, your girl went, went a little, she went far. I, I shot for the moon so I could land amongst the stars. So I did that and it was it was really, really, really challenging. I just keep saying, but we did it and it's in the can. And um, honestly, since then, it's been almost two months, two whole months. I've still been kind of regrouping and um, marinating on all of that, everything that I learned. Uh Everything from like my abilities, my capabilities, my skill sets, things that I am really good at naturally that I had like proven to me, if you will, um, that I knew stuff from like collaboration and stuff, but was worried would not translate over into the film world. Um, That was really great. And then also just being completely knocked on my butt to realize how much I fall short in certain areas, how much I didn't prepare. And then also just navigating everything from the quality of the product to the relationships that were put under a lot of strain from this particular kind of collaboration man it's a lot like there's a lot that you learn working with friends and um I don't know maybe I'll do a whole separate episode just to talk about that because I already wrote my second short film and I'm planning to make that in the next few weeks so like I said it broke a dam I'm writing more easily than ever and I've been writing stuff since screenplays and whatnot since 2017 and this is the 2022 is the first year that I actually made something but now I feel so much more um willing and I guess brave or also just don't care as much to fail forward and succeed forward, you know, and see where, where it can progress and learn how to rely on my team and build a good team to create a great product, which is a great moving piece of art in the film. So that's something that has been uh, really transformative. And it took, honestly, a really big toll on me. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that I did it. And I will also say, I think the fact that I went kind of crazy with the plot line, the number of characters, the number of locations, the grandiosity of everything. For me, 
a big learning lesson was I think in hindsight, that's what I needed to do and have the stakes be really high and have a lot of my skin in the game um, in order for me to follow through on something. I think I had a lot of resistance and fear about making anything that I think if I kept the stakes too small in this particular scenario with making a film, I think there's a good chance I might have backed out. We'll never know because I chose to do it this way. But my instinct is I needed to really like ask my friends to help. I needed to engage a lot of folks into the production of this so that I actually would step up to the plate and take a swing at it. Because otherwise, I think I would have just delayed it or made some reasons why it can't happen and use COVID or XYZ reason not to not to follow through on it. And because um, even with all of this craziness, I was I was considering like a few days before I was like, I can't do this. Like, we cannot do this. There's no way. It's just too much. And even with all the different people involved and all the moving parts, I was I was panic considering canceling it. So that was a, a big takeaway that I think I've had so many different um realizations during the time I've had this podcast about how to kind of like strategically approach a challenge for this one for me I did not take the bite-sized approach which I do in almost all the other situations and all the other challenges I have is like just take it one little thing at a time this one I like bit it all off I bit off way more than I can chew so that I could so I could go like do it and I think it worked out and at the end of the day, I'm actually really proud of myself um, because it was terrifying. I cried one day. I cried in the middle of the first day. And after that, like, actually in the entirety, I, I buckled up and I got through it. But man, this will be such a funny, like, this will be such a funny recollection later on. I'm going to be glad that I recorded this because, man, this is even two months after. If, you, if we had talked to me... And I had friends who did talk to me right after, like right in the wake of all of it being wrapped. I was a, a complete basket case. Um, but I'm glad that I'm documenting this because we'll see once I, you know, I'm down the road and have made hundreds of films and whatnot and have done this a million times and made my shows and my episodics. And it's it, I, I actually don't think that'll ever become like truly second nature. I'm pretty sure I'll maintain a good amount of like imposter syndrome and panic at every project hopefully because I'm continuing to challenge myself at every turn. And I think it'll still be really funny to remember the first one and just reflect and be like, oh, you little knucklehead. Look at you, little baby. Um, just show a little love and laugh at myself. It'll be nice. Perks of having your own podcast. So that was a really big thing that kind of um, took a... took. <laughs> took a lot out of me and I needed to kind of uh, regroup from and I think I was really overly ambitious with what I thought I could execute in terms of the podcast the other thing that I wanted to integrate into like all of this narrative because I think it's been such a heavy weight in a lot of ways and a continuing uphill climb for a lot of people was the results of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision. Now, okay, so this is the truth of like what happened around the time that I fell off the face of the earth. The short film happened. There's like, it's around sensitive subject matter. It's not, it's 
a lot of it is fun and then there's a lot of it that's pretty dark. So I was already navigating a lot for my short film to exist, to direct my actors, to be there for them, to be a solid foundation for them, to guide them, to be a safe, create a safe space for them in order for us to navigate that creatively um, and make that film. And then right after that, after all the physical, mental, financial, uh, emotional exhaustion of that, shortly thereafter, the Roe v. Wade ruling happened, which there had already been, you know, rumors and warning signs that that was something that was going to happen. What I experienced directly in finding out about the news was that I kind of went numb. And I think that I had intended to do that because I did not want to care that much about something that was so, so like philosophically, humanistically wrong and heinous and ridiculous and backwards to happen in 2022. Like, we had an inkling that it was going to happen. It's like, you know, it's going to happen. But then when it does happen, you're like, did that really just happen? And that's how I felt. So I think I went blank for a bit. and um, But slowly and surely, of course, we can only suppress our feelings for so long. Some other people are way better at it than I am. I'm not very good at it. That is a blessing and a curse. But I am not very capable of stifling my true feelings down, especially when it really matters. I can't, I can't suppress it for very long there's too much and it is a cork that will pop and crack a skull like I can't do it um so little by little this calm demeanor that I was I guess really working hard to maintain cracked and my my already low tank fuel tank was just like completely depleted and I was reacting and responding pretty intensely and didn't know how to acknowledge it. One of the ways I wanted to acknowledge it was to make a podcast and talk about it because one of the ways that I was being supported through that really, honestly, it was just a super dark moment. And I still think that it's still a dark thing. It's still a dark moment because we're living in the aftermath of it. There is this continuous fight that we're all going to have to continue fighting and we knew it and there was such a darkness and it was very somber and grave. I think this is the best way ways to define the vibe and the atmosphere. And one of the ways that I was dealing with all that was, of course, watching social media. But in this way, like I'll say, you know, social media can be so incredibly toxic and we all know this and it is something that's worth saying out loud. And it can also be really helpful because for me, when I was sitting alone in my home in Los Angeles, not knowing how to articulate any of my thoughts or feelings outwardly into other relationships or even to myself, I was just at this numb standstill. What I saw emerge on my TikTok for you page was all these incredible men, women, non-binary people expressing their outrage in really, really eloquent, determined, strategic, sometimes funny ways that gave me so much comfort and 
I felt this obligation and responsibility to do the same. I have a show. I make it a point to like get on a microphone and express my thoughts and feelings on XYZ topic. And there's this pressure that I have felt as as a podcast host, as a person, as a leader in different spaces to always be very immediately responsive to any crisis or anything that's pertinent to where I can contribute something of substance, right? And so um, one example I'll give is like back in college, it was a really hard time for me to um, digest what was happening with all the school shootings because that was something that really started when I was in high school. By the time we hit college, you know, we were trying to figure out how to still figure out how the hell to deal with it. I mean, not that we're dealing with it that much better at all now, which is so sad all these years later. Um, but I, I happened to be co-president of the Korean American Student Association at Berkeley during that time, and the Virginia Tech shooting happened, and the shooter happened to be Korean American. So it was my actual responsibility, even though nobody prompted me to, but I needed to write like a letter because there was this whole controversy happening at the time where literally I think the Korean government or something apologized on behalf of Korea for the actions of this man, um, this young man, because he was Korean-American. And that was such a strange, bizarre moment for me to not only process as just a regular citizen in person to process the the atrocity of this thing, of this of what happened, and to have the weird Han kinship that I do to anybody that I know is like Korean or Korean American to have this maybe made up or maybe real like thread of connection or understanding or kinship with anybody that shares our bloodline. I like I've felt this since I was young um, to understand their pain or their rage and conversely also feel like I have more of a space to like judge them and call them out and condemn them because it's like that feeling of family like it's like our our curse and our responsibility and our privilege as family to be like extra hard on each other. I don't know. Um, but at that time, because I was president of CASA, I felt as a leader of a Korean American organization that I needed to make a statement because I felt like it was so... I understood just because of the nature of Korean culture that Korea would take responsibility for the actions of one single Korean American across the ocean in a different country. Um, it was it was very extreme action, in my opinion, and I also wanted to just find a way to ameliorate the pain that was happening. So I, I wrote a letter and uh, addressed who I addressed it to. Did I address it to the chancellor? Um, but I basically wanted to articulate that on behalf of the Korean American Associ- Student Association that we are like we're as devastated as the next person and that it doesn't seem proper for an entire nation or entire population, a group of people to take complete responsibility for the actions of one in that sense. I don't even know what the heck I said, but this was like the letter that I wrote. And it was pretty long. As you can tell, I have lots of words to say. Um, and that got published somewhere. Um my memory is really just scattered, but I know I remember that I wrote this letter and I remember the pressure that I felt to say the right thing to prevent 
further harm or further hatred from spreading. Um, and that's one example that really kind of sticks with me in terms of how much, uh, how motivated I felt to like help out. And then also how scary it was to feel like, oh, if I say the wrong thing or I don't want to exacerbate a problem that already exists. And so that pressure is something that I think I've internalized for a long time. And like, um, I've been in different leadership positions since then. So I've kind of had to figure that out and succeeded and failed in various ways, which I won't even like catalog right now because I don't think it's worth doing. But needless to say, I feel like I've done a decent job in certain cases of really failed in others. My podcast, as somebody that has any kind of audience, I did feel like I want, I had this huge desire to want to talk to you guys, not only to like be an additional voice on a platform to negate all the trash out there where people are saying these like horrific things about what, what women's rights are and what we do or don't deserve. And the like heinous extremist, like ultra religious, like psycho-religious narrative that's been like throwing around and like these the small population trying to destroy human rights because of such extreme views I wanted to counter that I wanted to get on this microphone and say something um and also because it was it's my therapy it's my ability to be able to like say my my heart out loud and in some cosmic way I feel like I'm being heard and understood and like we can have that connection and we can provide that for each other through this medium. Um, so I wanted to share my thoughts, share my reflections and share my story about all of that. Um, and it, it got, it just got really bad on my end. I don't know how much it's wise for me to like list out it created a lot of friction in my life in some really personal relationships because I wanted to talk about abortion. I wanted to talk about women's rights. I wanted to be angry and be unraveled and be like adamant about demanding justice and me wanting to do that and me wanting to do it in my mind the right way which is to inform people in my life that I wanted to talk about certain things led to some really bad fights fights that like took me more than a month to to feel okay about so I think one day I'll get to say what I want to say I don't think my gut instinct is this episode is really just to update you guys and also to just just to kind of dive into the complexity around all of these feelings and these issues. It's not straightforward and it's not, it may be simple, but I don't think it's simple. It's complicated. And there's so many different relationships that we have to ourselves and to our communities, society, to leadership, to government, and to all the important people in our lives that 
do not make it so that don't make it simple, that don't make it so cut and dry to just speak out on stuff that we want to. On top of the fact that even when you do feel that that ready and determined to say something, there can be a lot of other setbacks. And those are all very real. And those are very personal. Those are not all things that you can just tweet about or talk to your even your best friend about because it it's so layered and complicated you don't even know how to like make somebody else understand and it's all stuff that we're gonna have to just navigate on our own and that's what I think the last couple months for me has been about learning how to be okay with not being okay I was not okay like that's the objective truth about it I am not okay with a tiny extremist religious group subverting the wants and needs of the people. That has been clearly identified and clearly supported. That threatens the well-being, the safety, the sanity of not just women, it's everyone women women are connected to, which is everyone. Harming women harms everyone. And it has really been not very long since the the actual rules have applied to provide some level of equality for women. And the attitudes have taken much longer to, to catch up to those rules. Even when rules are established, it doesn't mean that culture changes all of a sudden. It doesn't mean that attitudes and hearts and minds change. It just means the rules change. The rules changing do matter. They matter a whole hell of a lot. And it is, it's maybe just silly of us and naive of us to think that attitudes and culture and relationships and expectations and standards follow suit in any sort of like efficient manner. It doesn't. People are messy. We're messy people. We're emotional people. We're really, we really don't like change. So there's just so much to unpack here that I I want to say these things out loud and reassure anybody else who has felt so not okay on top of everything, on top of everything, guys, that we have all been going through for the last freaking three years or what? No, six years, including the the Cheeto. I don't even want to call him that because I love Cheetos. That weird Oompa Loompa that has been plaguing our earth for decades, but especially in the last six years. And I'm so glad to see what's happening with the FBI and Mar-a-Lago in terms of there being some sort of accountability and justice. We have been going through enough is what I'm saying. We've been going through so much and there's been so much exhaustion. And me accepting that I was and I'm still figuring out how to be okay with how not okay everything is has been a lot. But I think acceptance has been really key. And I think to a certain degree, like a good amount of surrender has been important as well. 
Because caring about all these really big things on top of the other big things that are personally important to me, the little things that someone else really may not care about but matter so much to me, and is my in my special equation and formula of what makes Minji tick and makes me motivated and makes my world go round. Caring that has been enough. And then like just you, people just throwing stuff on, man. We're just getting stuff heaped on. So if you're out there and you're feeling that, I get it. And I get it. <laughs> I'll tell you that July felt like the most nihilistic moment of my life. My birthday was in July. The fifth anniversary of first of all was in July. Happy birthday to us. I wanted to burn everything to the ground. I didn't want to care because caring about anything felt so pointless. And it also hit me like a ton of bricks that I'm in my later 30s now and just recognizing how quickly time has passed. It all just like, it was all a lot. Um... And I'm actually right now in this moment grateful that I reached that point because I do think there may have been a lot of unhealthy relationships and attachments to like wanting to control how things turned out. And I think being pushed to the to the edge that I was and finding that extreme point of like nothing matters of this point of vacancy and my like soul leaving my body for a moment, it felt it was empty and it was pretty sad, but in a certain way, it was pretty liberating to just like be free of caring about anything. And I, f- I say that because in my mind and in my heart, I it was annoying because I was like, I know I'm going to care. I know I, I know who I am and I know that I'm going to come back to wanting to care about voter rights and women's rights and the safety of our children, um, protecting our teachers from the insanity of our government, like getting proper taxing, like all the things that I care about that annoy the crap out of me because I don't want to care about it. I knew I was going to care. So while I was in this like completely vacant place, I was like, fine, I'm going to let myself not care because I don't care right now. I don't care. I don't care. But inside I knew I was going to come back to caring. And finding a middle ground in there where we can surrender and see the pointlessness of everything And then also in the same moment, realize how precious everything is, like taking a breath that's not painful, being in the company of people that we care about, having the mental capacity to speak with a friend and feel a connection and a nice little emotional escape from all the troubles of the world. Like those things also like become so much more precious and prominent and how beautiful they are and how meaningful they make life so that's where I've been swimming guys that's where I've been that's what I've been working to figure out and reconnect with people with myself and also reconfigure myself and reinvent myself and to like kind of let old versions of me die or be let go so that in this crazy universe where we are specks of dust, you know, floating on a 
rock that's hurtling through space and this giant universe that's being photographed so beautifully and just exposing to us how how freaking tiny and seemingly inconsequential we all are trying to have fun and just appreciate all of it like I don't know where everything's going it's so foreign to me because I'm such a person that always wanted like this is where it's going to go and this is what's going to happen and this is how I'm going to get there and because I'm envisioning so many different things and setting goals and and milestones and benchmarks of like how great things are going to go. Right now, it feels the most blank and like uncertain and unstable in so many ways. Inflation's been kicking our ass. Friggin' the interest rates, gas prices. Like I'm like, I just want to go for a drive, but I can't afford to go for a drive because it'll kill me and I'm trying to eat, but I'm working really hard. But now I have to work harder to make the same amount that doesn't buy me as much because I can't afford to live in this stupid freaking expensive city where we have like privileged people that have legacy children in my industry of Hollywood that are getting roles and making stupid shows that have no substance. So how am I supposed to pitch my show? How am I going to make it as an actor? Should I have chosen a different career? No, that's not true. But am I going to be able to afford to freeze my eggs to have a family because I'm getting older now, but I'm all alone? And like, should I just like, I don't know. What do I do? Should I sell pictures of my feet? on some Feet Finder website or OnlyFans. I don't know, because what does anything matter anymore? You know? Stuff like that. That's what's <laughs> in my head. So if this is your resting place of crazy, this is where I'll be. I don't know if I've said anything coherent. All I wanted to say is I really appreciate you guys. Life is life is insane. It truly feels like it really does feel like the like everything everywhere all at once. Truly. That's how my life has felt. And out of that, I'm coming up out of like the dust. It's kind of settling at this moment. Probably will get riled up again later. Right now, I'll let the things that matter matter. I'm going to take everything five minutes or one day at a time. And I'm going to keep moving forward. And I'll say I'm really, really grateful that um, everyone around me has been so patient and supportive to not shame me or make me feel bad about abandoning the podcast and becoming completely irresponsible and just needing a lot of days to like regroup. I'm really grateful for that because I'll tell you this podcast, it might be, it was top three things in my life causing me the most stress. I felt so much guilt and shame that I hadn't published an episode when I was right smack in the middle of season three. And I'd been on such a good steady clip and feeling so good about it that when I hit the wall that I did and when I got into the fights in my personal life that like completely debilitated me, I had actually had four recordings of the same episode recorded and ready to go but I ended up trashing them because I just didn't feel ready. And the more that they sat on my computer and I stared at it, and the more days that passed, the more guilt I felt and the more shame that I felt and the more irresponsible I felt like having a show, period, and thinking that I needed to just cancel it and that I needed to just, you know, apologize to all my listeners and just admit to you guys I'm a complete 
failure of a host and all that, like really extreme, some people might say. But to me, it makes perfect sense because I'm like, no, people ought to be true to their word and they need to like follow through on what they say. I'm really big on that. So when I don't do it, I get really irritated with myself and I get irritated with other people. I want to be a person of my word and I would love for other people to do what they say because I think communication and being real with everyone around you and with yourself especially is key to us having less like insanity and misguided expectations and bad relationships and all that. But I got really, really, it, it was a source of a lot of stress and guilt and shame. So I want to apologize because I did leave listeners in a lurch. I think it's really rude for me to assume like I have a narrative in my head where like I was like, if I disappear, no one cares. It doesn't matter. My show's not that important. I'm not like such and such. I'm not a celebrity. Like no one gives a shit. And I don't know if I use that as like some way to hurt myself or to excuse myself and let myself off the hook of like responsibility. It's a mix of both. But that's the kind of stuff that goes on in my head. I'm just being very like stream of consciousness honest with you guys because that's the stuff that has helped me the most is hearing people's true feelings and their true thought processes because then it just affirms that I'm not as crazy as I think that I am and or maybe I am as crazy as I think that I am and that's okay. In in whatever case that is and however you may or may not interpret me, I can't control that. I'm just here to say hi, to apologize, and to get this show back on the road. Because that's what I want. At least to finish season three. Um, and I'll see from there. <laughs> if you heard this, listen this far, bless your heart and I love you. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. We're going through a lot. It's been a lot. <clears throat> take your space. Take care. Take responsibility. Be gentle and be kind about it. And let's just keep carrying forward. Let's see where this, where this goes. I'm genuinely waiting for like the aliens to pop up any day. And from what I hear, because I do think that there's been like some big shift that's has, happened pretty really recently and on a cosmic level, I might sound like a total crazy person to people, but I don't care. But there have been more like UFO sightings and stuff like, like I always wondered on a scientific level, I was like, I don't like the universe is so big. There's no way we're, we're it. We cannot be like the only ones. It really like, it would be totally on brand with 2022 with like this whole, we're what on season three of the pandemic it would make total sense if now is the time that, like, the aliens came up. But until that happens, or even when that happens, just know that I'm here for you guys. I love you and that I'm rooting for all of you. And I hope that you can show yourself love in whatever form that comes out in, whether that's, like, protecting your space and you needing some time away from others or and asserting boundaries, or if it's for you to, like, re-engage with people um to find a new community of friends to try something different and new to reinvent yourself to move or if it's just like reading a book and drawing a picture or facetiming somebody that you've been meaning to talk to and like finally facing i'm telling you recording this podcast for me number one point blank period is like me 
facing like a big fear. I was just like, if I get back on the microphone, what the heck am I going to say? What do I say? How do I, how do I even begin to explain like the craziness that's been going on? So yeah, I could start a podcast or like, I don't know, do what you like, but be safe about it and don't harm other people if you can help it, please. And with that, this very short, quick update has taken more time out of both of our days than expected, but I really appreciate you. I love you guys so much. I'm not sure what's to come, but however I can be here for you, I will be. And however much I need to be there for myself, I will be. And however much effort and flow I can have in creating awesome art with my great friends so that we can share it with you, that will be coming. And then there are some really good episodes coming ahead because I have two great guests lined up and we will close out season three strong. Thank you for your patience. I love you guys. And thank you to Marvin. Marvin, thank you so much for your understanding and patience. I'm telling you, Marvin's like a saint. He's just so... Marvin could easily, like... He could roast me so bad for all the stupid, like, inconsiderate, unreliable ways that I've existed. But he's still so kind and so generous and like gives me so much grace so thank you Marvin I appreciate you congratulations to Anna who is my producer and she gave birth to her second baby little Sammy his little cancer baby little July baby love her um welcome to the earth we'll do our best to take care of you I will I will because you're so cute and I love you so congratulations to Anna. Thank you to Prisca. My other producer has been so patient. And congratulations, and I love you, to Juliana, my social media manager, who has been kicking butt up in Seattle, doing her internship, spreading her wings, leaving her SoCal nest, um, working for Costco, and, like, running social media for them. I'm just so eternally proud of you, Juliana. So proud of you. I love you so much. So congratulations, and get back home safe. Or don't. You can save in Seattle. Do you. You know what I mean? Um, and thank you to my Patreon patrons. Oh my God, I love you guys. And I'm so glad we got to have our hangout. If you'd like to support the podcast, you feel free to uh, go to firstofallpod.com and find your decided way to contribute if you'd like. I appreciate it. If not, I'm still here and still love you. Um, our intro song was provided by none other than Uzuhan with the song Uzu Trap. And our outro song this week is by my dear friend Jennifer Chung. Take it one day at a time. Because that's what I would like to share. And uh, you can find First of All Podcasts on all the podcast platforms on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public. And yeah, feel free to hit me up, firstofallpod at gmail.com. You can follow along on Instagram at firstofallpod. My page is Minjeezy. And that's it for me this week. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Bye.
Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Bulba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.